This is a Holy Baptist Church podcast, bringing you into a community in which everyone is welcome, lives are changing, and Jesus is King. Thanks for listening with us today. We would invite you to subscribe so you can keep up to date with us. But for now, we pray you enjoy listening for what God has in store for you in this episode, and that it helps change your life for the better in Jesus' name. Enjoy. The World's Greatest Story Part 2 Where Did It All Go Wrong? We are carrying on our series, The World's Greatest Story. And just to recap where we got up to, very much each week goes on from the last week. So if you've missed last week, you can catch up uh, by going on our YouTube channel. You can uh, watch that. And we were talking about creation, the fact that God created everything. And we we left with this picture of a world that is good and a humanity, human beings that are very good. And God has taken what was a chaotic, messy, disordered world and created order and created purpose and created something beautiful. And it's a place where God dwells in his creation with humankind working together, responsible for keeping this world on track, making everything work together. This kind of um, just creating this wonderful, abundant life. And that was what we were left with last week. But then we look at the world around us. We look at human beings. You look at terrible earthquakes in Syria and Turkey. We look at the fact that we're so plagued with sickness and death. There's so much hate and violence. The war in Ukraine and wars all over the globe. We look at the fact that we are facing environmental meltdown and we ask ourselves the question, where did it all go wrong? If that wasn't what God created in the first place, what happened? What went wrong? And we're left with this question, I think also, which I I spotted in some, I went back to my college notes and I was just going through some stuff around creation. There's this question, this I'd handwritten, it says, are we as humans... Good for creation. Are we good for creation? Because we were designed to be good for creation. But if we honestly ask ourselves the question, when we look at the history of what we have done and what we are currently doing, and we ask the question, are we good for creation? The answer is no, not really. One of my favorite films of all time, I can't believe it's about 24 years old now, uh, was the film The Matrix. Has anyone watched that? It's a very, very strange film where basically humanity has been enslaved by robots and they all live in a virtual world being observed by robots. There's one robot called Agent Smith. And these are the words he says. He says, I'd like to share a revelation I've had during my time here. It came to me when I tried to classify your species. I realized that you're not actually mammals. So he's talking about the human race here. You're not actually mammal. Every mammal on this planet instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with their surrounding environment. But you humans do not. You move to another area and you multiply and you multiply until every natural resource is consumed. The only way you can survive is to spread to another area. There is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus. Human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You are a plague. 
very easy to be on the outside looking in and going, what a mess these human beings have made of the planets that we live on. So where did it all go wrong? See, the writers, we've got a guy called Paul who wrote much of the New Testament, New Testament's the latter half of the Bible, and he wrote lots of letters to churches, and we've got a, quite a few of those that we keep and we read, and it tells us all about our faith. And he wrote one particular letter to Rome, and in, in, to the church in Rome, and he says, creation is groaning. Creation is growing. We can sense that, can't we? The world is groaning in pain. And he talks about it groaning in pain as if in childbirth. The creation is groaning, waiting for something to happen, waiting for a rescuer. And the question is, what are we being rescued for? What is creation waiting for us to be saved from? That's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, in 1986, there was an explosion in a nuclear power plant. You probably know the name of it. It was Chernobyl. Uh, it's in uh, Ukraine. It wasn't Ukraine then. It was the former it was Soviet Union near the border of Belarus. There was an explosion. And it was, just, it was, a, it was uh, supposed to be a bit of a, a test that was very poorly managed. Things went wrong. And just, just a small proportion of the nuclear material within the react, one of the reactors got released into the environment. But it was enough to cause unseen deadly particles are spread throughout Europe and it had a huge effect on the people in the surrounding areas as you would imagine this this unseen deadly radioactive material it affected uh, millions of acres of forest and farmland they were contaminated thousands of people were evacuated hundreds of thousands more remained in contaminated areas and in addition in subsequent years many livestock were born deformed and among humans, several thousand radiation-induced illnesses and cancer deaths were expected in the long term. Initially, two people, engineers, were killed in the blast, but a further uh, 30, roughly, were, were killed. Many of those firemen who were fighting the fire because it was going to spread to another reactor, they bravely fought the fire, but not realizing they were just being hit with that unseen death of radioactive particles, and many died uh, later. And then they had liquidators who were sent in to clean up the mess. They tried to send in robots, but there were 1980s. The robots weren't particularly amazing. They just couldn't cope with the radioactive. They just didn't work properly. So they sent in liquidators, men who went in to clean up the mess. And they could work in the, in the worst places, the most radioactive areas. They could only work for less than two minutes before they had to be shipped out because they were exposed to the unseen deadly radioactive material. They estimate that between 300 and 800,000 men were sent in to clean up the mess of Chernobyl. See, that was an explosion that spread an invisible, deadly radioactive material everywhere. But actually, the Bible says that there was an explosion that caused far more damage. It's an explosion that spread something that was is equally unseen, but even more deadly throughout all creation. It's something that effects have been felt throughout all time and is felt now in your life and it affects the world that we live in. The Bible kind of gives this impression that it, it creates the, the earthquakes that we see. It creates greed. It creates a breakdown of relationship. And it's created a breakdown with our relationship we call God, with God. And the Bible calls this invisible, unseen 
deadly virus, sin. And it's a word that we don't really use very much in our day-to-day language, certainly not outside of the church. But the Bible tells us a huge amount about its consequences. And the Bible is a story of us as human beings living in a world contaminated by sin. And I just want to look at, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, right at the beginning of the Bible. So last week we looked at Genesis, no, we looked at Genesis chapter 1 last week. We're going to look at mainly Genesis chapter 3. And it's something that uh, in the church they call the fall. F-A-L-L, not fool, but fall. And I never really knew what that meant. Um, But it just means it's when sin entered into our world. I've already recapped on the fact that God created. And we've kind of got this this bird's eye view of of the world being created, everything coming into order, the the night and day, the land and the sea, the the trees, the, the animals, and human beings who God says created in his image. And in chapter 2, we're not going to look at chapter 2, but in chapter 2, we kind of zoom in a bit. We come in closer as if we are now in the midst of all this creation. We're given a bit of a more intimate view of, of what happens. Well, we have this Garden of Eden, a paradise that God has created, and he places man, Adam. Now, Adam just means man. If it was more like Boris or something, you know, Adam, man. Man is created and put uh, in the garden. And uh, he's there to look after it, and God thinks it's a bit lonely, so he gives him some animals, some pets, but actually that didn't quite hit the spot, so he gives him woman uh, from man, this partner who he can have as an equal and can be with, and can li- they can look after creation together. But what we are highlighted, and I find this very, very strange, And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. You've got everything you could possibly need to sustain your life, to give you just a wonderful life. You can eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. What on earth is God doing here? What on earth is going on? It's it's almost as like, you know, he's, he's got this tree in the middle of the garden. He's saying, don't eat from it because you're going to die. It's a bit like giving, I don't know, a child bleach in a fruit shoe bottle and saying, don't drink it. It just it, it's stupid. It doesn't seem to make any sense. If it was me, I'd put it in a concrete bunker with locked doors and so he couldn't get to it. And yet he leaves man and woman, Adam and Eve, able to get to a tree if they eat the fruits they're going to die see what is going on here well what i think is going on here is it's a test it's interesting the hebrew word this is written in hebrew the hebrew word for test and temptation it's the same word it's a test it's a temptation it's getting it's giving humanity a choice it's giving them freedom it's saying do you want to trust god or not because god's saying to you if you I've given you everything you could possibly need. But if you don't trust me, then there's this tree that you can eat from. Are you going to trust me or are you going to seize autonomy and define morality for yourself? God gives humanity that freedom. 
And that's something that's really important to grasp. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 3. I'll close the Bible. Why do I do that? Genesis, if you've got a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Some verses will appear on the screen. There's Bibles back there. If you've got an app on your phone, do feel free uh, to look at it. And uh, in my Bible, they, actually, they, they put in these titles in the Bible. They weren't in the original text. I mean, in my Bible, it says The Fall. Okay, so as I said, it's called uh, The Fall. And this is what it says. Now, the serpent or the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really? No, we're not getting up to that bit yet. Uh, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. Now, let's just back up a bit. So we've got a serpent, we've got a snake. Why on earth did they choose a serpent or a snake? It's a little bit strange having a talking animal. Um, I think there's only one other occasion in the Bible I can think of where we have a talking animal. It's a little bit strange. Well, I think the key thing to hear, one, it's, it's, this is creation that man is supposed to be responsible to have authority over. It's almost turning that it on its head. So we're like, actually, now to create these animals are starting to have an influence on humans. And they've chosen the serpent, a snake. Now, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Why do you think they might choose a snake? Anyone here scared of snakes? Put your hand up if you are scared of snakes. Okay, here you go. Do you know what the top five most common phobias are in the world? You know what they are? Number one is spiders. Put your hand up if you're scared of spiders. Yeah, quite a few, yeah. Uh, number two, snakes. Okay. Number three, heights. Anyone scared of heights? Okay. Number one is called agoraphobia, but basically it's situa situations where escape is difficult. Anyone's, well, you probably wouldn't be here if you had that. You might be watching online. Maybe you have that. And number five is, anyone know what number five is most common phobia? Not claustrophobia. It's another animal. Do dogs. Yes. Put your head up if you're scared of dogs. Yeah, Helen, I know. Helen, you're scared of dogs. See, a snake is something that we are naturally scared of. Throughout human history, there has been anonymity between humans and snakes because they're scary. Why are they scary? Because like all these phobias, there are things that can kill us. Now, you're not going to have heights. Uh, forming a part of the story. But you could have a spider. They have uh, black widows in Israel. I checked it this morning. But no, we have here a snake. And that's almost also linked to the fact that uh, for much of uh, the Israel culture, it was the snake was symbolic of chaos. Symbolic of chaos, just the mess and the horribleness and sin and everything. So we have a snake here. And he says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, actually, God didn't say that. He just said you shouldn't eat from the... One tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So already this serpent is twisting God's word. And this is what the woman says. The woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat fruit from any of the trees in garden. It's great here. It's just a nonstop buffet. Um, no, go back one. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Well, that's a slight exaggeration. God didn't say you must not touch it. But the woman's pretty much on, on plan here. She knows, you know, this is prohibited. I mustn't go there. But a serpent doesn't end there. 
He says these words in verse 3. He says, you will certainly not die, said the, ser the serpent said to the woman. So basically, he's straight away saying, God is lying to you. God has said you're going to die. That is not the case. You that will not happen. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God's knowing goods and evil. If we go back to last week's um, talk on creation, humanity already was like God's. We were created in the image of God's. We already exhibited some of the characteristics characteristics of God. We were already like him. And yet the snake, the serpent saying, actually, God doesn't want you to be like him. It's a lie. It's a twist of the truth. Now, you may agree with this one. With temptation, I'm pretty good the first time I'm tempted. I can usually say no the first time. It's the some subsequent temptations that get me into trouble. And this is what we see here with the woman. See, verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for foods and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. You can imagine the woman, she was doing so well. She said, no, 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 we're not allowed to eat it. This is what God has said. But then she starts to think about it a bit more. And you can kind of imagine her looking at the tree and going, actually, it looks quite nice that fruits. Actually, I quite like to get this wisdom that this serpent is offering. Yeah, maybe God is holding me back. Maybe God doesn't want me to be, you know, my, the, me to my fullest extent. Maybe I can get something here. And she dwells in it and she dwells in it until she takes a step. Imagine she goes, ah, no, ah, no. But in the end, she goes for it. I, are you like that with temptation? Don't put your hand up. Actually, you can resist it up until a point, but then we start thinking about it and we start dwelling on it until the temptation becomes too great. Now, up until this point, the woman has not sinned. Sin has not entered into our world. Temptation itself is not so much the problem. It's the giving into it. So she took some and she ate it, but she also went to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. He didn't seem to put up much of a fight at all. And verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. And what we see here is a breakdown. So the first consequence of sin, the first consequence of eating that fruit that was banned, first consequence is a breakdown in the relationship between man and woman. Suddenly they feel shame and they feel vulnerable. They feel a need to protect themselves. I mean, from whom? From what? From one another. And you see a breakdown relationship between man and woman. Then verse 8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So I love that image of God being in the midst of creation, just going for a walk, looking for the man. It says, And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It's so sad that they're, they're running away from their creator. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And it says this in verse 10. It says, he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. There had never been fear 
before. There had never been anything to be afraid of. And that's another consequence of sin. It's just not that it's just breakdown relationship, but actually there's fear enters the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God says, who told you that you were naked? It's like, wait a minute, something's happened here. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Verse 12, the man does what men have done for the rest of time. They blame the woman. The man said, the woman, not my wife, that woman that God, you, put here with me. So shifting blame from himself onto the woman and onto God. God, if you hadn't put this woman with me, I wouldn't be in this mess, would I? She gave me some fruit from the tree when I ate it. We suddenly see a big shift here of putting shifting blame, a further breakdown of the relationship between man and woman, between man and God. This is what we call the fall. And what chapter 3 goes on to explain is that because of that, whereas God said at the beginning, he blessed humanity, he blessed creation to be fruitful and multiply, suddenly we have these curses that God proclaims over the serpent, over the woman, and over the man. And ultimately, they get chucked out of that paradise, the Garden of Eden. And ultimately, they die, not because they die there and then, but because they're no longer to have the eternal life that was just given to them through the fruits uh, of the tree of life, which is also mentioned in chapter Two. And you can't kind of imagine when they were writing these, these words, when they were writing this account of creation, you can imagine the people sitting there and asking themselves the question, looking around, maybe it's a question you asked yourself. Maybe you're asking the questions, why is it that life is so hard? Why is it that there are snakes and spiders? My wife often asks the question, you know, it says, the first thing I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven is, why are there wasps? Why are there wasps? Maybe they're asking the question, why is it that childbearing is so difficult? For animals, it seems to be easy. No problem at all. They have a baby, they're running out into the field. Why is it for, for women, human women, it's so difficult and so dangerous? Why is it that life is such a struggle? We have to work and strive for every single part of our, our lives, that we have to work so hard to get the foods on our table, maybe you're experiencing that now. In 2021, 17% of adults in this country suffered from food poverty. That was 2021. You think how much worse life is now. Why are we experiencing so much difficulty just getting foods on our table? Maybe they're sitting there asking the question, why is it we are so vulnerable to natural disasters? Maybe they're asking the question, why is it that we die? And you can see each of those, those curses within, those, those consequences within the curses that God pronounces over the serpent and over the woman and over the man. It explains why is it that we are in the state that we find ourselves in. See, the consequences, what we see here is a loss of authority over creation. We see, actually, as we've picked on before, humanity being a curse 
to creation rather than good news. We see pain and suffering. We see breakdown of relationship. We see life becoming hard work. We see creation fight, fighting back and making life difficult for humanity. It's a sad story. And what we see as we go continue through Genesis and you read uh, through that, we just see things getting worse and worse. We see mur- breakdown of family relationship. We see murder. We see chaos enveloping the world. We see competition with gods. But what we do see in the midst of this, despite God pronouncing these curses on humanity, despite expelling them from the Garden of Eden, we see God time and time again stepping in to humanity. First of all, it's with a guy called Noah who rescues him and family. Then we see it later in chapter 11 with a family, a guy called Abraham. And he promises, he makes a promise to Abraham that I'm going to be with you and all of your descendants. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be fruitful. We decide to see that blessing he put on Adam and Eve pronounced again on Abraham and all his descendants. And God promises that he will be there in the midst of them. And later on, as we read the Bible, we find this story of this, this family, the nation of Israel, going through life where God, first of all, uh, rescues them from slavery in Egypt. And we'll pick up on that more uh, next week. And we see God fi- making a, a place within, right in the midst of their camp. First of all, a tent, a tabernacle, but later it was represented by a temple, a stone building where God dwelt in the midst of his people. But we still have this sinful world, this fallen world with the consequences of sin. But there is this promise that I want to pick up on. It's a really important thing that we can miss uh, easily. Because in verse, in chapter 3 and in verse uh, 15, when, when, is it 15? Yes. Where God is pronouncing his curse over the serpent, he points towards something in the future. This is what it says. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is between the snake and the woman. And between your offspring and hers. There has this weird thing. We don't quite understand what's going on here. It says, he will crush your head. So on some offspring of Eve, some future human will crush the head of the serpent. But at the same time, the serpent will strike the heel of the person that's doing the crushing. We have this kind of idea that something's going to be sorted. Something's going to fix these curses. But it's going to have a consequence for the snake who's going to be crushed. But in doing so, this person who's doing the crushing is going to be wounded. It's going to be a wounded victor. When they wrote the New Testament, when they looked back through the eyes of Jesus, they saw in these words a promise of Jesus, that Jesus would come along and would strike at the serpent. They saw in the serpent the devil, Satan, being the enemy. So when this was written, it was a snake. It was something to be scared of. But actually looking back through the eyes of Jesus, you can see the devil now at work, tempting humanity, causing the fall. But there's this promise that the devil will be defeated. And the person doing that is Jesus. And Jesus will strike and crush the serpents. But what happens to Jesus? The serpent strikes back. And they saw through Jesus' death that happening. But through Jesus' death and resurrection, we have been rescued from the consequences, the curse 
of sin. That we are followers of Jesus. We are living under the blessing of God. That God dwells in us just as he did in the Garden of Eden. He can dwell with us. And we can start to um, reverse those effects of sin in our life. We still live in a fallen world. We still live in with the consequences of natural disasters and sickness and death. But we have this promise that sometime in the future we will be free from that. But God is working now in the here and now in our life so that we are no longer defined by our sin, but we're defined by our relationship with our Heavenly Father, where he looks at us and says, you are my children. We're going to be picking up more of that next week. But I just want to leave us with just a couple of things, just very, very quickly. And it's that so what question I asked uh, last week. So what? How does this have an effect for me now? Well, firstly, there is hope. There is hope despite the rubbish world we live in. There is hope. There are glimmers of good things. Humanity is still created in God's image. And despite the mess sin has made of us, we can still do good things. Second thing, God is with us. He wants to bless us. He did not go, right, that's it. I've had it with you. I'm off. God is still with us. So it leaves us with the question, are you living under the curse of sin, or under the blessing of God. I want to show you this graph very quickly. We might come to those verses in a minute. Oh, sorry. I've changed the order, I think. Here's a, this is the annual death rate per 1,000 total births from maternal mortality in England and Wales from 1850 to 1970. I'm sure it's a graph you've seen before. Um, but basically, it's looking at how many, how many mothers died giving birth we've already said one of the curses of of the of the fall was that actually childbirth becomes difficult and dangerous and painful for women uh so if you go to uh the beginning of the graph 1850 there was 55 deaths per thousand of birth 55 you see actually goes up probably up to about 75 at some point in the late 19th century then something happened in the 1930s where that changed. And you have this massive dip. You know what that was? Antibiotics and antiseptics, stuff like that. Suddenly we had medicine that meant that now in the 1970s it's getting about getting close to zero deaths. However, it's still dangerous. And we have three children. But the first two, my wife probably would have died if it wasn't for the intervention of, of medicine giving birth to our children. So we look at that and we go, okay, we are able to fight back against the consequences of sin. I think we can all agree that that is a good thing. Do we fight against all the consequences of sin in our world? The environment, stuff like that. But I just want to focus on particularly is the relationship between men and women. The Me Too movement has highlighted the huge disparity between authority and power between men and women. How difficult it can be for women who experience all sorts of struggles in life because of men. And we're becoming more and more highlighted to the fact, the difference between how we're treated, even down to what we get paid. And we're fighting against that. 
but actually we can still live as if we're living under the consequences of sin. And I'm going to get very controversial here, so I apologize. It might make you listen a little bit more because we're getting towards the end um, and um, people realize it's going on a little bit. But actually in our church, I believe that we are called as equals, men and women, to work together to bring about the kingdom of God. doesn't mean we're the same. I've been married. I know we're different. I am married, not we've been married. <laughs> oh, dear. We are different. We are not the same, and yet we are equal under God, and we are called to live as equals under God. There is no, I, I, I have two young daughters, and there is nothing they cannot do. And Joel as well, yes. So in our church, I believe that women can do whatever a man can do. The consequences of the fall was that relationship was broken down. I think it's interesting that we have this relationship, man and woman, together. But what you see uh, in chapter 3, after that consequence, we have, and I think it's very telling, it says, verse 20 of chapter 3, Adam named his wife Eve. He didn't give her a name before. He was just his wife. Who else did Adam name before the fall? The animals, because he had authority over the animals. He named the animals. He didn't name his wife until we have this curse in chapter 2, where he says to the woman, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. That is a consequence of sin, men ruling over women. If we are no, live, no longer living under the curse of sin, then we are called not to have authority as men over women. I've got this quote, and it might come up, but don't worry too much if you can't uh, see it. And it's from, all um, oh, my notes have got muddled up. It's, it says this, it says, towards your man will be your desire, but he, he, he is to rule over you. There are some of the most poignant, sad words in Scripture. Here is a relationship in which two people were designed to stand together and fulfill a calling from God to master the earth and serve the garden. But they have been reduced to arguing about whose fault it is that things have gone wrong. And it's always going to be like this, God says. Another um, a theologian who wrote, a, um, wrote about Genesis says, it summed it up in this sentence, says, to love and to cherish becomes to desire and to dominate. So we see that in our world, don't we? If you're a woman, you probably see that far more than I do. I'm fairly oblivious to it all. We're called not to be like that. We're called not to dominate. We're called to love and to bless. We're called to live as children of God under the light of the promises of God, not the curses. I'm going to go, I've gone on far too long, so I'm going to stop. But we've got some questions now, just to give you an opportunity uh, to respond. So let's just sit and be quiet and watch these questions. Are you good news for creation? Are you a peacemaker? Or do you make situations worse? Are you living under a curse or God's blessing? 
How does your life and relationships demonstrate this? That was today's episode of Holy Baptist Church Podcast. We hope it's prompted you to want to follow Jesus, hopefully a lot, but even just a little bit more closely. If you have any questions about what you've heard in today's episode or you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, you can email us, gotquestions at holybaptist.org.uk. We would love to hear from you. It would really make our day. If you want to hear more from us, just a reminder, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or you can download the Holy Baptist Church app on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store by simply searching Holy Baptist Church. Thank you again for listening to Holy Baptist Church Podcast. We pray God will bless you and we'll see you next time.